Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I know you are here wanting to change and rewrite your story. You are desiring to step into the impact that you know you were here to create. I am here to guide you with the proven tools and strategies used by myself and our speakers to support you in taking radical responsibility in your life and learning how to own your choices to change your story. My name is Marsha Van Weinsberg. I am a storytelling business coach, master NLP trainer, speaker, podcaster, and seven times published author. My clients have found freedom and purpose from overcoming their shame stories and learning how to share them with the world. I am so grateful you are here. Let's get started. Welcome back to the show. Today we have an episode that I'm going to start with saying there is a trigger warning because I feel like it's important. And I also feel like if you have been a listener of the show, you know that these are the kinds of stories that we are here to share. And today is, it's unbelievable. Her name is Michelle Shakana but it's actually not her name. This is a complete incognito interview done. I've never done this before. And I'm so freaking honored that I get to share Michelle's story. So there is no video with this. This is her audio. And as we are sharing this, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Michelle. Michelle was married for many years and was a stay-at-home mom of two children. In 2015, she realized that her husband was addicted to drugs At the same time, she experienced financial, emotional, and sexual abuse from him, which turned into sex trafficking. Michelle spent many nights crying on the floor until one night she saved her life and ran for the door, literally. Since then, she has been healing herself with therapy and other techniques. She has become a strong mom for her children in addition to being an advocate and mentor for other women and teens who have suffered from any form of trauma and abuse. Her story is unbelievably compelling, heartbreaking, yet so full of hope and reconciliation. This episode is, it's powerful. It's very powerful. And Michelle openly shares her vulnerable story with you, bringing so much awareness to trafficking that literally blew me away. Things that we don't even think of, we don't know, we don't understand. We're not ever going to fully understand, but she shares so much of this in this episode with you, how a lot of it is about control, how it escalated, and how she found her way out to finding the courage to sharing her story, which is, I think, a really a next level to this whole episode is the piece that I'm grateful she found her way out. She found the courage to do that and to you know advocate for herself to create change. And she's sharing her story here. So I just think that is like, it's just, it's incredible. It really is. And I know that it is going to continue to educate and support people in understanding how this problem is not something that's not happening. It is happening. And she literally moved from the floor to the door, which is what Michelle's website is as she is sharing her story in a book and as well as coaching and supporting others. Incredibly powerful. 
Michelle continues to move forward and be the best role model for her children and other women and teenagers who have experienced trauma as well. I am beyond grateful to share this episode with you, and I would love to continue to support Michelle and get her story out into the world. So please help me share this episode as well. Welcome to the show, Michelle. And before I even start, I am just grateful to have you here today because if you're just tuning in, this is going to be a difficult topic and a very, very important one that we discuss. So I just welcome to the show today, Michelle. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. If you wouldn't mind giving people a just a short intro as to who you are right now and what you're doing. And then we're going to dive into your story a little bit more. Okay. So who I am is a woman first, Mm -hmm. um, a mother, second, a former wife of somebody um, who was, became very abusive to me, but abuse in a different way that most people don't recognize Um, so in that being said, I'm a survivor. I'm a very much a thriver and I'm someone who lives and lives for and loves people. And my goal and my mission is to just do that is to help people and make them smile and make them feel good about themselves. And that's really who I am. I'm just a ball full of love. (laughs) Full of love. I'm assuming you've got a big heart. Uh, well, I've been told, but yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. Which I I really, um, I've come to realize is a gift. Mm-hmm. It's also something that can get me into situations that are, are really scary. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm learning now, midlife in my 50s, that I have to protect my heart more so than I have in the past. And, you know, those of us that want to love openly and freely, because we know so many people are in pain and all I want to do is like wrap my arms around them, whether it be, you know, literally or figuratively, I have to really also be careful because sometimes even though somebody is in pain, they might use that pain and, and project it onto me. And I'm not quite at the point where I can necessarily protect myself from that I've learned. Isn't that the such a challenge in a sense? Because mm-hmm. most people who love openly and freely mm-hmm. who do um, generalization, but they are also the people who have been hurt in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And coming back mm-hmm. to the space of how do I like sit back in mm-hmm. of allowing myself to give and still respect mm-hmm. my own boundaries of what I need for myself. Yes, exactly. So here's what I said, though, no matter what I've been through, no matter what someone has done to me or said to me or what have you, I will never stop having an open heart. I will never, I will never, it, it just, I can't do it. You know, one time I was hurting so bad. I'm like, forget it. I'm just going to go to the dark side. I'm just going to not be nice. And, you know, I'm not going to hurt someone, but I'm just not going to put myself out there. And, you know, that lasted for like a few hours. And I cried about it. I prayed about it. And then boom, it was like, okay. So I just have to realize that there are some people that I have to love from a distance Mm. and wish them well Mm -hmm. and forgive and just 
keep that boundary and that wall up very, very high. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a hard one to learn. Um, mm-hmm. But I'll tell you without the boundaries in place, like it's really hard to best navigate mm-hmm. yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I didn't have any boundaries because I didn't think I needed them from the person that I was married to for over 20 years. But I learned that the hard way. So I want to go back into your story mm-hmm. at this yeah. point. So you were married for 20 years. It was. Mm-hmm. What was that like in the beginning? Well, I want to say in the beginning, it was like a fairy tale. But in the beginning, it was all false. It was false from the minute I met this person. It was completely, it was built on lies and fantasy. I was sold a bill of goods, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, I learned that when somebody is very good in sales, they're good in sales everywhere. And I was sold. So it looked like it was something that I thought I wanted. When I met my former husband, I was already a professional um, healthcare worker. I was licensed at the time by the age of 23. Um, I was independent. I was an independent woman. You know, and back in the day, um, we didn't need anything. So it, you know, it, it looked great. It, you know, he made, he made sure, and this is before, I mean, this is before the internet and cell phones. So we didn't know anything about anything, mm-hmm. but he did. He knew that he should become everything that he thought I wanted him to be. And, you know, he proposed to me within two months of knowing me and, you know, our families were friends, so it was easy. It was an easy sell. Okay. Uh, and, you know, he asked me to marry him in front of a entire group of people. We're talking about a hundred people. Wow. And it's like, what do you say? I didn't say anything for quite a while. Everyone's like, well, and it's like, I, it's like part of me knew inside, even though I was so young, I knew. And I kind of said, okay, literally like that. Okay. And yeah, and he wanted to get married immediately. And I was like, all right, hold that, hold, hold off. And we did. And, you know, within the first couple of years, we got married and had a child and started a business and bought a house and, you know, the whole white picket fence thing. Yeah. And I created a home that I grew up in. It was traditional. It was spiritual. It was all about family. Um, the parents would come over, I'd make brunch. It it was a beautiful thing. (sighs) And, and I didn't know what I didn't know. No. And, and I completely, I thank you for sharing that because I know, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a point where it's like there, the intuition is speaking, Mm -hmm. but you're also not seeing it yet. Right. I, what I would love to know is at what point did the intuition get louder or mm-hmm. when did the, you know, the circumstances were like, wait, what is happening here? Mm-hmm. So I would say five years into the marriage, okay. it was, we, we had our first child, but we had the grandparents to watch him and they of course all wanted to. And, and so my ex wanted to start going out. And we live in an area where there's, you know, bars and clubs and people go out to all hours. And he was friends with a group of people. And that's when the heavy alcohol use and the drugs came out. And I knew nothing from this world. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I was raised by professionals and I was a professional and, you know, my whole family is like that. And I didn't know that he was doing this sort of thing in college and what have you. So, you know, he and everything was about just try it, just try it. Come on, just just try it. Like it was nonstop. And as I've said before, no was not an option. Mm-hmm. And of course, I would always get sick. So of course, the first time I got sick, the second time I got sick. And so he's like, well, let me do this and we'll change it up a little bit and you'll be fine. And, you know, this is a person that I gave my life to. And he, you know, he had to sign forms that said he would protect me and take care of me and, you know, provide because it was a very traditional ceremony. And, and I thought, okay, he knows better than I do because I don't know this world. And, and right. And so I said, okay. And that was my mistake because I didn't, I didn't know to him that that was like, okay. And anything else I do that she doesn't know about is okay. And anything else I want to do in the future is okay. To me, it was okay at that moment to get you to stop. I will do what you, you're asking me to, and I will be that wife that you want me to be because I want you to love me and blah, blah, blah. And I did. And it was okay in the beginning. And then that cycle of life changed. And then another child came and both of these kids had issues. Both my children have special needs that I had to become the captain of, Mm -hmm. meaning I had a team of doctors and teachers and advocates and administrators in my pockets for each child. So I was no longer the healthcare for other patients. It was these two kids. So I was making sure that they were well, that they had their medications and that they had their tutors and that, you know, that they were thriving and doing the laundry and taking care of a home and making sure that there was dinner on the table and for the business he had, that everything was that when I was still allowed to be involved in the business that, you know, I I was just telling this story the other day. I had a very, very hard labor with my oldest son. It was two days worth and NICU and all of that. And three hours after I gave birth to him, I was doing payroll in my hospital bed. Mm-hmm. I hadn't held, yeah, I hadn't held the baby yet because I couldn't, but I was doing payroll because he couldn't do it. And he gave me the responsibility to do it. So, you know. It's one thing in marriage and kids there's a lot of times that one person is doing more like it does right. happen which is right. when we said but, that yeah yeah but we're you're crossing into something now where it sounds right. like you were wearing all the masks and holding all of the balls in the air yes yeah so you continue this you're now dealing with kids with special mm-hmm. needs mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i'm assuming his alcohol and drug use just escalated Actually, it didn't, okay. or at least it didn't in front of me. So, you know, he'd always say I have an addictive personality. So he would have other things, you know, you could, you could eat food and, you know, gain weight and that fulfills whatever that is, or, you know, secretly he could be getting massages and certain types of massages that I didn't know about, or, yeah. you know, watching certain t- types of shows, um, on TV when I fell asleep, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, you know, there's other ways. And because he did have to function a little bit more so. 
And not only did our children require, but I required it because again, every weekend his parents would come over, my parents would come over and everybody would sit and I would take care of everybody. And, you know, um, when I cook, I cook things from scratch and, you know, I do entertaining or whatever it is. Cause I saw my mother doing that. And I come from a large family also with lots of children. So, you know, it was, it's just what happened. And, um, I just, you know, I would, that was my routine and I was okay with that and I enjoyed it. And I was, I, I wasn't working with my license. Thankfully I kept it current, mm-hmm. uh, my healthcare license and he would go to his business and he would disappear and come home. Sometimes people knew where he was. Sometimes they didn't during the day. And it escalated. And when we were married for 17 years, that's when it really hit the fan, so to speak. I was just going to ask you, at what point mm-hmm. did things start to change um, and become yeah. even a much bigger problem? Right. So as the kids got older, you know, of course, everything started to shift. Their needs started to shift. Their independence shifted. You know, my goal was always to teach my kids how to take care of themselves because, you know, as I'm about to take my last one to college next month, they're, they're on their own. Of course, I'm always here. And I, I, I mean, I still get the phone call from my 20 something year old asking like what, what he's allergic to, you know, that sort of thing when he's at the doctor's. Um, but still, and that's okay. And, um, so as the kids got older, his behavior changed. Um, he was at a very successful business at the time, but would go on late or would disappear. They didn't know where he was. I was still running the household because I still had them at home. Um, but they were more independent, meaning we could leave them and they didn't need sitters, Um, and that's when things got really bad and tricky. And then what happened was I lost someone very close to me and she was like my other half family member. Mm -hmm. And I went to the funeral by myself with no support from him. And I came back and I said, I really want to live my life to its fullest because we were in our forties and she died suddenly. Mm-hmm. And this was a gal who lived life. She loved music and she, you know, celebrated that. And, and, you know, we were like the yin and the yang to each other. And I said, I'm going to live my life to its fullest for myself and for her. Now I said that once again to the wrong person. Cause I didn't know what I didn't know. Uh-huh. I didn't know that he was already doing things during the day that were inappropriate for mm-hmm. anybody. I didn't know that there were drugs involved. I didn't know. I mean, he would say he has an addictive personality, but I didn't know exactly what that meant. So I have said it before that I kind of gave him my hands and he took it. And that's when he walked me down a dark path and down a tunnel into a world, an Alice in Wonder world that I didn't know existed. And that included alcohol, drugs, sexual deviance. Um, different groups of people, different friends. And I became the pawn. I became the gift. Mm. And he started trafficking me. And much like you see when it comes to children being trafficked, 
mm-hmm. which is the hardest and most horrific thing any of us could ever think of. When you're dealing with an adult who has childhood wounds that have not been healed and you share them with somebody and that somebody exploits them mm-hmm. and that somebody is condescending to you about them and mentions them in front of people and tells other people about them and uses them against you. You're now dealing with an adult who is as vulnerable and as naive as a child. And that's what happened to me. So things were said to me, things were said about me and I was used as entertainment or as an opening to an event or a party or someone's house that he wouldn't be able to get into by himself. But with me, it was, you know, here's three vials of drugs and then here's my wife and you can have whatever you want. Thank you for everything that you're sharing because like, I know this is a heavy topic. Mm -hmm. It is one that needs to be talked about. And Mm -hmm. I just, I respect the heck out of you for doing what you're doing. Like, this is like taking, Mm -hmm. sharing your story to a completely different level. And I just want to honor you for that. Thank you. You're welcome. He, he would use you, manipulate Mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. Basically, um, I don't want to, I, and I don't want to put words into you. I just want to ask the question. Mm -hmm. Sure. Was it primarily for um, more drugs? Was it primarily for manipulation and control? Was it, if you had to, any thoughts you might have on that? Why was he doing it? It's all about control. Yeah. Everything was all about control. And it wasn't just this, you know, when, and I had to educate myself because and we can get into this, but when I did leave, you know, it was somebody who was a huge advocate and a former KJB agent that really is the one that said to me, you understand you're, you're abused. This is domestic violence. And I said, what are you talking about? This isn't domestic violence. This is, this was an abuse. It was just something that he did because I was so brainwashed at this point mm-hmm. And I couldn't imagine because it didn't look the same as you see on the posters. Thankfully in the last month, you know, um, let's say even more, even as much so thankfully you know sex trafficking and the the way that abuse looks is really primarily out there now the awareness is out there yeah um i was physically hurt in different ways i wasn't punched in the face and it's really sad that that's the barometer it really is but things are a lot different now than they used to be Um, our awareness is out there. And that's my goal is just to make people aware Mm -hmm. and then to help anyone who's been through any sort of trauma for him. It was about control for him. It was about, and it wasn't just him. It was a whole group of people. It was, um, it was about what can we get her to do? And it wasn't just men. It was women as well. The women were supposedly my best friends, my sisters, and the men were like my brothers. And, you know, I came in with the open heart. Mm -hmm. and I would go into someone's house with you know a box of cookies or a hostess gift even if I'd been there 20 times because that's how I was raised 
Mm-hmm. And people would look at me like, what are you doing? We're all sitting here drinking and having a party with red solo cups in our hands. And I'm like, yeah, but I saw this and I thought that you'd really like it mm-hmm. because that's how I was raised. Or I'd go to someone's house and, you know, everyone's meeting and I would bring something, you know, I'm like, if we're going to sit around and eat, I'm going to bring a dish that I made. And they're like, well, that's not the goal. The goal is just to, you know, drink and just like party. And I'm like, well, that's not why would we just do that? And, you know, I was really naive. And, you know, when I first started, um, you know, I've said that it's, there was an escalation process. Mm-hmm. He knew what he was doing. Um, he knew what he was doing from the minute he met me, the whole grooming thing, you know, um, brainwashing me into, I needed him that I couldn't survive without him. Financially, I had nothing anymore, if not for him, even though I did support him. I worked in his businesses. I did the payroll after having the baby. I mean, those sort of things. Um, And I had my own businesses. But what happened was I was doing so well that he cut that off, especially when the kids were young because he couldn't handle raising them without me or spending an hour or two without me. Mm -hmm. Um, It was too much for him. So it was about control. And then it was about as he would say, putting me into situations that I was uncomfortable with. That you were uncomfortable with? Correct. That's what he enjoyed doing. And it was like a game. And, you know, I was told he would watch certain things um, on certain websites that people watch. And his, his goal or his mistake really was trying to create that and make it his reality. But you can't, and this is just for anyone. I don't want to make it about one person. You can't watch something on, uh, you know, without saying exactly what I'm talking about. You can't watch something on a website and try and turn your wife into that star. You just can't. That's not realistic. Ridiculous. No. And that's that's what, and I didn't know that was going on. Mm -hmm. I just thought, you know, he had some sort of something inside of him. I knew that he was watching it. I didn't realize what he was doing, but he was also pulling away from me. We would go out and I would be ignored and he'd be friends with everybody like strangers at the bars or the restaurants. And I'd be in the corner, you know, don't put baby in the corner. Well, hello, that was me. And I looked the part. I made sure I had to, for one, for him to give me approve, you know, approve of me, but, I also did it to get the attention from him, not from anyone else, mm-hmm. but from him. It was, you know, that childhood wound. Don't mm-hmm. abandon me. Don't neglect me. I'm right here. Pay attention. Mm. I think that's something yeah. a lot of people can understand. I, the more we're Absolutely. Talking, the and more. it goes from, right. And it goes from men or women. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and it's one of the reasons why, you know, when you're together with your child, get off your phone and pay attention to them because that that stuff will stick. It'll stick through their adulthood. Mm-hmm. It will, you know, and and, you know, a child that acts up acts up for a reason because any sort of attention is attention. And that if it's not handled, it will go into adulthood. And it'll be like, what do I have to do to get this person to pay attention to me or to love me? Because when he would go off into God only knows where and disappear for an hour, you know, I was doing, I'll be like, oh, you want me to do, okay, I'll do this. 
if that means that you'll be with me, you'll pay more attention to me and I'll be your number one, like I was for the first 17 years, mm-hmm. you know, then I'm going to do that. So there was that piece of it. And then there was the no, no was not an option because it finally I was like, I, it, it, I mean, this was six years worth. If, if you can imagine. Yeah. So it started off very, very, very small, very small, small it's, and subtle, right? Like small and subtle, small and subtle, small and subtle. We're going to yeah. go for a date night. Okay. We're going to go for a romantic date night. Yay. Away from the children. Okay. We're going to have, you know, they are all good. The kids are good. We're going to go out. We're going to connect. We're going to have a bottle of wine. All right, let's go to a bar after. Let's go dancing. Okay. Then we go home. And then the next time we go out for dinner, whatever it is. And then, you know, we'll go, well, let's, let's go to this kind of place instead. Mm-hmm. You know, then it's like, oh, okay. Well, that makes him feel a little bit. So we go home and then he and I reconnect intimately, let's say. Mm-hmm. But then the next time it's like, let's go here, here here and then maybe he's going to bring somebody like oh right and then it got to be well we're at a hotel i go upstairs because i'm tired he's sitting downstairs at a bar with some guy and he walks in with that person and now i can't get out i'm like what now i can't get out and the drugs were always around he made sure that everybody everybody and this happens that everybody was inebriated in some form so it was a control of the entire situation it was a control of the people that were involved yeah you know control yeah all levels exactly and it wasn't just you know and i'm not and i'm not here to talk so negatively about one person because as we all know as the more movies that do come out about trafficking or abuse it's a control of the entire situation and the reason why i could identify with the movie sounds of nature which i did see two weeks ago when it first came out is that those situations are very very realistic they look different the people might look different the men sitting around they might look different they could be in suits they could be on a yacht. Mm-hmm. They can be in a huge home. Doesn't matter. I lived in the suburb. I was a community leader, fundraising chair for women's organizations. I went to special needs children's support groups because that's the real me. Well, I think there's so many different things that you're saying now. And again, I'm just going to keep saying it, but thank you for everything that you're sharing. Of course. Um, one of the things in Sounds of Freedom with Paul Hutchison, and I mean, where the title Sound mm-hmm. came from, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how powerful it was to hear the kids yep. experience freedom because they didn't sure. know what it was. Yep. Um, one of the things that he talked about is that in based on numbers, Okay, it's not mm-hmm. literal, but based on numbers, that yeah. one every four houses, yep. you are dealing with somebody who is involved in some way, shape, or form of trafficking. And I just found that like such a I I don't know how to make of that, to be honest. It's it's mm-hmm. almost like I'm all for let's talk about those difficult things. Let's bring that yep. out. Absolutely. One in four. And yeah. so 
I'm just going to ask that with the parties and the the way he did traffic you, mm-hmm. would the average person be surprised at who was in that room, who was being being participating in it? Like the people that he would have been mm-hmm. trafficking you to, the yep. people that were involved in mm-hmm. situations with mm-hmm. like rest of the mm-hmm. average person be very surprised at who those people are. Are they average people? Yeah. Um, more more so than average. Yeah. These are successful people. These are leaders in the community. It's very much a Jeffrey Epstein situation, depending on which group you're talking about. Yep. That's where I was going to go. And that was, and that was, um, and that was something that it's even funny, like the whole trafficking thing. I had no idea of the word until a few years ago. Um, and, you know, I didn't see it as being someone that looked like me. Mm-hmm. I didn't see it as someone who was American or, you know what I mean? Like white American or white American middle-aged woman. Like who yeah. would want that, you know? And and it wasn't until actually one of my doctors said, you know, you were involved in a Jeffrey Epstein situation. I was like, what are you talking about? And it's, it took me a year to watch the series on Netflix. And I will tell you when I did, I can identify with all of it, all of it. Um, the, the, every single the aspect, the players in, in the game, how they did it, how the women were just as much of, um, just, just as guilty, just as much of the solicitors of, of getting people. Because like I said, the women know really well how to connect with other women. Well, I think that's the one thing that blew me away. I mean, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Blew me away, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, it does. But it does. The, yeah. the, the one thing I heard when I heard Paul on a podcast, um, mm-hmm. he talked about how they came face to face, right? Because he did too many mm-hmm. operations. Mm-hmm. And they came face to face with women who were trapped. Mm-hmm. He spoke mm-hmm. about how... He just felt like mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this because he shared it openly, but mm-hmm. that you know the women would say no those kids aren't ready yet, mm-hmm. and he said well they would try to mm-hmm. bring like request as many virgins as possible so that they yeah. could rescue mm-hmm. these kids. Yeah, and she would say well the kids aren't ready yet. Oh, you know unless you're okay with screaming or do you mm-hmm. want them in drugs mm-hmm. and like that was actually harder to take yep. than the men. Yeah. Like, looking at her going, what is wrong with you? Like what, is, yeah. what yeah. is wrong with you? So I think that was even just next level uncomfortable to understand that the mm-hmm. the, the women who are involved in mm-hmm. it. Right. Right. And so that was actually harder for me too. Yeah. Because men are men, let's be honest. We get right, it. I yeah. get it. Yeah. You I'm know. Like, I mean, I, I'm not a bad looking cow, you know, I might be, I might be middle aged, but I definitely, like I told you, I had a look. Um, and so I get that, but mm-hmm. for the women to mm-hmm. befriend me, um, because they have an agenda, whether it be for themselves and, or for their own, you know, male partners yeah. or just for them. Just because I'm a mean girl and I can make this one do whatever I tell her to. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's no different than the Regina George situation. Mm-hmm. Let's be hot and mean girl show, you know, it's yeah. no different. And it's really, like I said, if, if there's ever been a woman, especially who has been bullied 
at any point in her life. And then you've got a group of gals that, you know, you think are prettier or better or more successful or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And they want to befriend you and they're, and they're, they're, it's really, it's, it's enticing to just be friends with them. Yeah. And so now you've got those gals like bringing you down a path that you don't know what's on the other side. It's like a teenage, like middle school girls. Oh, mm-hmm. come shopping with us. And before you know it, you've got girls that would never steal things, you know, mm-hmm. stealing from the local Claire's or whatever. It's just, it's so interesting to me how that works, even when we're older. And, you know, I've had, I've separated myself from who I am now versus who I was then. I mean, I've done ceremonies um, where I've burned things. I buried her, literally, mm-hmm. the pictures, the cards, you know, I buried her and I thanked her for staying alive for me. Mm-hmm. I thanked her for holding on and I promised her that I would live my life to its fullest and tell her story. I think this is a piece that I definitely want to get into is the strength that requires. Mm -hmm. I would love to know um, what was, you mentioned a friend who said, no, Mm -hmm. this is domestic violence. What was the turning point for you where you went, wait, what? And am I being trafficked? And how do Mm -hmm. I know I'm being trafficked? And how do I get out of this? Like, what could I possibly do next? What was that turning point for you? Okay. So my friend used the term trafficking after I was gone. But what happened was I realized at some point that everything just got worse. Um, It was never about us even going to a movie and just being ourselves. It was, well, the movies eventually stopped because we used to do that. And I loved going, I love movies. And um, it would be, we went to the movies, but then we'd have to go out afterwards. And then there were drugs and alcohol. Like it was never not about the drugs and alcohol, Mm -hmm. which apparently is still going on, but not anywhere near me um of course so and as much as all of those people that i was close with in the community organizations in the schools all the parents that i used to be friends with they received phone calls that i was an alcoholic a drug addict and a cheater but yet i walked away from everything went back into my healthcare to heal other people and i am not involved in any of anything you know i've actually became quite a hermit. I went within and oh, I, yeah, exactly. I not, seriously. Yeah, exactly. I, I went within and, and you know, there were, there was a moment where I would start going out and then I'm like, you know, I don't want, the, I don't want to be around that even or the chances or, and then, so the other people that I was involved in, especially the ones that made the phone calls is out doing their thing. Mm-hmm. So that just goes to show you, but, um, what happened was I realized that there was never a moment or never an event that we could just go out and be ourselves. And it was not just on the weekends now because the kids were older. It was almost every night of the week. And I couldn't live that life. I didn't want that life. That wasn't for me. And the situations that I was put in got scarier and scarier and scarier. It was the back of a club and basically a closet where the owner of the club a friend of them and a security by the door, I couldn't get out. And it wasn't always about sex and it wasn't always about whatever. It could have been lifting up my dress, putting drugs on me and having them do whatever they did. And I couldn't move. I couldn't leave. It was going to a friend's house who I thought was my friend. And before I knew it, I'm on a table 
and he's managed to get everyone inebriated. And the woman that was there with me left and it was me and, and and I couldn't physically leave. And then one day I, you know, I, I was like, cause no was not an option. I was shushed hand over my mouth. It was here's more drugs and like literally up to my face where you can't get away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I remember the last time where I literally pushed everyone. Like I finally, I don't know what it was, whether it was all of my female ancestors behind me. It was, it was a dev- something in me just kind of pushed everyone. Right. And mm-hmm. collectively, and he, he wouldn't, he wouldn't talk to me for three days. And there was always a consequence when they said no. Mm-hmm. And, um, at that point I was okay with it. I didn't understand it. I, that was a whole thing. Like the why until recently, even I didn't understand the why, but at some point you have to realize somebody just loses themselves in their own pain and they become sociopathic. And I tried to justify it. There is no justification. I tried to justify it, but you know, there's their behaviors even still happening now that just prove that there's no answer to it. And it's not my problem anymore. It's not your problem anymore. And I think it's not my problem anymore. No, not at I, all. That's and I tried to, yeah, I tried to save him. Yeah. But yeah, did. No, no, you, you have to no. save yourself at that point. Well, I, right. That's a part of it is that you're stuck. Mm-hmm. Like not you, we get stuck in this. Why? Like trying to figure mm-hmm. out like, how, did, how did I get here? Mm-hmm. What happened? Why exactly. is this? Right. Right. I didn't understand it. I mean, I was the perfect wife and the friends wanted like, Oh, can you, can you duplicate your wife and whatever? And so that was the thing. So I became, I became that golden prize because I was someone who was committed to their, their man for no matter 20 years, no matter what. Yeah. No matter. And I was a good, I was a really great friend to everybody and I was still, you know, making dinners and, you know, we would have events at my house and they would see what I did. So you know, I would have events at the schools and some of those people would actually come because I didn't know what I didn't know and they would see all that. So, and I don't know if that was, that was like, oh, if I can get to that person, if they, I, they could get a part of me, then they would even, they would maybe get some of that of who I was or they wanted to just destroy it and bring me into their world. If that wow. makes sense. No, it does. Yeah. It's just, uh, yeah. so you're hitting that point where things are kind of coming to that boiling point. Mm. How did you get out? And at this point, when you did get yeah. out, roughly how old were your kids then? So um, they were middle to older teenagers. Okay. One, 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 one was a legal, yeah, one was a legal age. Mm-hmm. So um, okay. I knew, I knew that it was getting really, really bad because my behavior was, was it was erratic. It was probably hard um, to hide. It was hard to hide, but I there were like even my emotions. I mean, not only was I being well, trafficked and then gaslit, and mm-hmm. you know he he had he had me convinced that I should be doing like hormone replacement. He was giving me injections of what he said were B twelve shots, like you know, all of that, like older health, middle-aged healthcare stuff that people do, especially where I live. And 
my body and my brain were off and I knew that I could feel it. Mm-hmm. And you think for a woman, you think, oh, you're in menopause, whatever it is, right? But then it got to be the point where I couldn't control how I felt. Mm-hmm. And now I'm in a job where I'm working 12 hours a day and I hadn't worked in a, in a formal job. And it was a job that he got me. It was a job that kept me out of the house. When he found out that when there was money missing from our joint checking account, mm-hmm. I opened up my own checking account. When he found that out, that's when it got really scary. So and you had your own account that you were trying to keep money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thought, okay, I'll keep money in there. Let him do whatever he's doing to ours. And I'll keep money in there for myself, yeah. you know, to, to, for the kids. And, you know, if there needs extra money, at least it won't, it won't be. And I knew why he was taking money out. I knew mm-hmm. why he was taking money out of our other account. You know, when $700 cash is missing, where's that going to? Yeah. It's not going to a bill. You know, I mean, come on. No. So, right. Even my kids know that, you know, when he asks them to get $500 out of the ATM, and bring it to his house in 10 minutes, you know, mm-hmm. my child, my, my daughter and her girlfriend know, even know what they're, you know, what that's for, you know, which is really sad. So there comes a point though, like you leave, right? You just, how did you get out physically? Mm-hmm. How did you get your kids out without, did you have, did you have to right. plan? Okay. How, yeah. So I had two years before I left, I had said something because at that point, he would be yelling at me about something and my daughter would tell him to stop yelling at me. And I knew when I heard that when she was 13, that that's not okay. No, that's not okay. And I said, this can't go on because he was getting relatively worse. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't realize that there was a second life happening. And I knew, you know, what do they say? They say that um, the one they're betraying is who they're who they get more angry at, who they're meaner to. So if like somebody is, has someone on the side, they're going to be mean to the one they're lying to. That's what it is. So, and I could, I could see that. I could feel it. At some point he was so bad. I was living on a twin mattress on the floor of, of an extra bedroom, you know, and I lived there for a month and he would, you know, slam open the door and yeah, in my own house, you know, and um, what happened was I I didn't have anything planned, but I knew the last week that I wasn't safe. I didn't know what was running through my body. I know that we would go out, let's say in the last month with some of these friends for dinner after my job. We would meet for, you know, dinner, drinks, let's say happy hour. And I'm like, okay, we'll go. I'll go. Mm-hmm. I, I would have maybe one drink with dinner or half of one. And I would wake up and be in the bathroom of a hotel down the street or in that same shopping area, whatever, the plaza. Mm-hmm. And he would send my son in first. And I, and I'd be like, how did I get here? We would go to the parties and, you know, he, he was a bartender. He, in his old life. So he would make drinks. His friends would make the drinks. The guys would always make the drinks. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, I'd wake up in someone's house and I didn't know how I got there. And I'm the type of person where even my kids make fun of me. Like I can't drink more than one, one and a half, or I get sick or I go to sleep. I mean, I can't watch a movie without going to sleep, you know? So I'm not that type of person, you know, when we would go out, he'd have, you know, 10 vodka, vodka sodas. 
and I would have, you know, one and a half and I'm like, all right, I got to get to bed. So that kept happening to me. Mm-hmm. I kept, you know, I would, we'd be out. I'd have a couple of sips of a drink that one of his friends made. I'd go to the ladies room and then I can't hold myself up. And he'd be like, well, I'll send in this girl who I'm now really close with that works at the bar and walk you out to the car. I get home. I'm in the bathroom. I can't hold myself up. And he's recording me on his phone. Oh my gosh. I was always, so yeah, there's, there's blackmail there. And I'm telling you, I put it out there because, you know, he would say, Oh, go to the bathroom and send me a sexy picture or, you know, let's pretend that you and so-and-so are naked in the bathtub and put the towel up and da da da, And I'm going to take a picture. Oh, wasn't that funny? And the wife is sitting there laughing along with him. Or I'd be on top of him and he'd say, call me this name, call me that name. And he would record me sometimes without me knowing and sometimes with me knowing. And I'd be like, why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. It's mind blowing how, but we know this is true, but mind blowing mm-hmm. how like people like find each other, like, Correct. like, people find Correct. Each other. like it's Correct. amazing. I'm yeah. like, yeah. I don't, and I don't mean, I, I don't know anybody mm-hmm. personally like that, mm-hmm. that exists. Mm-hmm but I know they're there, but yeah. it's amazing how they start to find each other. It's bizarre. It really yeah. is. It is. Yeah. It, it really is. And that's the difference is that I stood out because I wasn't a part of that. Yeah. And when I started telling some of these girls of what was going on at home, because at home in our own bedroom, there was some serious abuse going on. Um, strangulation to the point where I pass out and wake up, but he'd still be on top of me. Mm-hmm. Um, about around my neck, um, abuse physically is form uh, as far as hitting me. And, you know, it, he could justify as like, Oh, I thought you liked it rough. Well, nobody likes to get their insides bursted and have to have operations. No. Um, yeah. So that's the form of physical abuse that I've endured and uh-huh. still have lying within me. Yeah. 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 So you don't just, yeah. the- not just not right. just, but emotional, but we have physical. Right. So you find the courage to leave. Mm. And I'm yeah. saying you leave and don't go back. So what happened was, you know, and it's funny, I joke about this is, well, he had a tracker in my car, which I found that my attorney has. And apparently his ex-girlfriend has a tracker in her car. My child found out <laughs> it's on her phone. And, and, um, you know, I had like shoes and, sweaters in the cars I always do as most women do and so I wasn't even I didn't care about anything and I asked my kids to come and they wouldn't because they wouldn't leave their stuff and the pets and I needed to go to a safe house and I didn't know what to do now I could tell everybody how to do this um so I knew that I was afraid to drink anything in my house I was afraid to eat it I was afraid to touch anything because he had a plethora of pills from his friends that are doctors. He had a, uh, a creams. Um, I found a numbing, a syringe of numbing cream. Well, what can you do to somebody if you put numbing cream on their skin? You know, think about it. What do these traffickers do to the children? Yeah. I don't, there's one scene. There's only one scene. And I was surprised in the movie where, you know, the, the guy who sells a child to this other guy says, give them this when they wake up. And it's a bottle of something 
to either make them a little, you know, loopy, so to speak, or to anesthetize them. You know, and as a healthcare worker, if you put a cream on skin that's porous, it goes in, you could do anything you want to that person or to that orifice, or whatever it is. So I found that um, I found all of these different types of things, which my attorney now has, um, and just pills of all sorts, you know, and things that were beta blockers, things that were, um, you know, uh, anesthesia of some sort. Um, you know, I had had a surgery and he accused me of being a drug addict, but yet I had half a bottle of stuff that most drug addicts would take sitting still months later. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I left, I took a garbage bag full of stuff, everything. I cleared the house because I was worried about my kids leaving mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. Um, as you can imagine. But I had older teenagers. My daughter went with me for two days and she she and I have spoken even recently about that, what that meant to her um, and how hard that was for her. So, you know, it's a challenge because you want to make your life, their lives as normal as possible. And, you know, I kept what happened for away from them because I didn't want them to think, to know what their father was doing. So when I left, he told them I abandoned them. Yeah, of course. He and did. he told them that I slept with everybody under the sun yeah. and, you know, all of these things. And, you know, my youngest is bright. I mean, girls are. And she's like, well, how could you be at my school all day and, you know, volunteering and mentoring and children? And you know, how could you do that and do this also? Like what he's saying. And it didn't make sense to her. The logistics of what he was saying made no sense. And my oldest one who would help me go find him and put him in the backseat of a car when he couldn't drive home. And he's still having to do that with his father. Mm-hmm. You know, he wants to believe sons want to believe their, their fathers are heroes. Yeah. And, you know, I think that he's seeing more of what goes on now of who he is, but he doesn't want to believe the piece of what happened to me and he's not ready. And so he doesn't quite know. My youngest one, she figured everything out. She knows everything about everything and she supports it. Mm-hmm. And we talk about it openly because, you know, she's very aware. Um, and with my son, one day when I know that he's ready, I'm not going to force anything on him. I mm-hmm. just show up and we talk every day and I see how he's doing. Because, again, he, these kids still have their own issues. Yeah. And I'm still I'm still their mother. That's the thing. So. I left and I went to a house that was safe and it was, you know, kind of within the same neighborhood Mm -hmm. where my, you know, my children were and my daughter was entering her freshman year of high school. So every day before the sun came up, I woke up and I went back to that house. I didn't, I didn't touch anything. I was definitely afraid because he said he had people following me. Mm -hmm. Um, I made her school lunch at the other house I didn't use anything. I brought groceries to the house. There were no groceries in the house anyway, but so I brought groceries there, but I made all the food at the other house and I would wake her up for school and I would get her ready. Um, and I would bring her, she and her friend to school every day and he would either be asleep still, which he would normally be anyway, or he would sometimes be walking in at six forty-five in the morning as she and I were leaving for school. Oh, 
like she's reeking of alcohol, you know, and it was like she and I would be like, where are you coming from at this hour? And whatever. That's that's again, that's not even part of the story. The story is, is that I feared for my life every day going there every day for two months until I can get into my own place. And I made sure I showed up every single day. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I still do. You know, she's with me now full time before she goes to school. And I talk to my son ever, even when he didn't talk to me because of the stories he was told. I texted him and called him or emailed him. Even if he tried to block me, I showed up mm-hmm. every day. Yeah. And it's, that's powerful. And I think that's the, a really big piece of it is you'll let him come to his own decisions when he comes to them. You mm-hmm. control yourself and show up consistently. Mm-hmm. I think that you can do. That's the only thing I can do. And I realize that I realize that I can't change his mind, no. but you know, as, as a mother and, you know, as a mother and I told him, you know, my, well, my, my greatest goal was to embarrass them when they were, you know, as they were older, because that's what we do, you know, but yeah. to make, make sure, you know, to make sure that we laugh and to make sure that they know I'm here. You know, I'm, I invite him every week. I said, at least once a week, you have to come to my house for a, you know, homemade dinner. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have to connect. I said, if you don't want to do that, I'll meet you anywhere you are. Mm-hmm. And, and just because I think that's important, even when they're older, it's it's really important because they need to know that, especially because like my child hasn't spoken to her father in two weeks and he hasn't reached out. And this is somebody who, you know, he calls himself the super dad because she's very high achiever mm-hmm. and takes the credit for, and she knows that. And I don't want the credit. I just want to know she's okay. Yeah. And she always, and she's always going to know that she's okay. And she's always going to know no matter where she goes, no matter what she does, that she can reach me. And it doesn't have to be the mother that does that. It could be the father. It could be the grandparent, whoever it is. Mm-hmm. But that was, that was my goal. So when I left going full back to that question is, is I knew that I had to get myself well. Yeah. When I left, I was in the bed two days later um, in this house and I was shaking and I was deathly afraid of whatever was in my system was coming out. And I was afraid to go to the hospital because if they had found something, they could have said I was an addict and I would lose my daughter. Mm-hmm. He tried to call everyone and say I was an, either an addict or that I needed to go into a facility because I had lost my mind. And you know, my family who I was alienated from wrapped their arms around me and said, we've got her, leave her alone, stay away from her and we've got her. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned something earlier mm-hmm. and that like your families knew each other. Yes. But they did not know what was happening. Correct. Nobody so knew anything. How was that conversation with them to say, we have to talk. So um, I haven't seen his parents and these are people that I took care of for over 20 years as my own. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of speak through my daughter and I make sure that my kids, they're, they're, they're good people. They're just a little bit older in a totally different generation. And nobody wants to know that their child is a bad person. No, they do not want to know. No, they no. don't. No. And, and with the financial abuse, so there's, there's a lot of financial abuse that has also gone on. 
and you know his father's involved in you know his bills and paying them and what have you um because this is someone who can't do anything on his own even according to his children um uh you know he's aware now yeah of what's going on because there's money's owed to me that's legally mandated even at this moment that i haven't received Mm-hmm. but this is somebody who drives luxury cars, who goes out every single night, who does all of this, um, and who now the child lives with me full time, but there's, you know, no financial support. And it's one thing if somebody's, you know, can't afford it. It's another thing if somebody's driving a car that's over $100,000 yes. and, you know, living a life that's very grand. And, you know what, God bless, do what you want to do, just live up to your responsibilities. And, you know, it's just, it's just a bad scene, but also, so when I was at the safe house, my goal was always to live on my own and go back to work. And even though everybody was told that I would not survive without him or he would not give me anything, so to speak, um, I mean, I gave up my career for 20 years Mm -hmm. and, you know, going back into it, I'm not as educated at the same level of some of these younger people that are in my career because I was out of it for so long. Right. Um, you know, the difference though I've found is that life experience is huge. <laughs> software software is easy to learn, but you know, in, in life and in business, especially it is all about the connections that you have and how you can form relationships. And if you've lived the life I can sit just like you can sit and talk to anybody about anything. And when you realize that you are, in fact, very similar, we are one, we are all connected in some form, that gets you further than, you know, this computer software that way, because that's easy. That's just logistics. Yeah, that's a a great point, because it's like what we're learning on our day to day. mm -hmm. So like those are, those are right connections, conversations that we can continue to have with, with others and support others. Right. Right. So, absolutely. So I'm writing two books. So writing it, writing saved me because this all happened right before COVID. Oh, so it's still fairly relevant. Like this is. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're writing these two books and I want for people who are listening, mm-hmm. to know, um, we said your name is Michelle, but your, your identity is being protected right now. And so, I just, I want people to know that as we're mm-hmm. speaking, right? That mm-hmm. did. Absolutely. And you're in a space of like, what drives you to share your story when it is such a big story that can, has mm-hmm. such a big impact? What's driving you? Because you're, I mean, I've done over 600 interviews. I've mm-hmm. never anybody with a story like yours. So, I mean, right from the beginning, I look at it and go, I'm so, I'm just so inspired and proud of you for sharing. I really am. And I want people to, oh, you're welcome. I want people to, who are listening to go like, you could have easily just like went Mm -hmm. by the wayside and said nothing. So Mm -hmm. what was the driving force for you to say, no, I want to get on Mm -hmm. podcast. I want to write a book. Mm -hmm. I want to do more with this story. What was that driving Mm -hmm. Um, that's an easy one, but I'm also going to tell you the option is I could have also stayed or I could have gone back. Right. Right. So the driving force for me is simple. Um, for one, my kids, Mm -hmm. um, and 
you know, I, like I said to you earlier, I watched the Jeffrey Epstein story and identified with it. Yeah. The next day, um, and I do suffer. I had, I had a panic attack and it was a big one. And, you know, just like any other trauma, there's such a, there's such a, a spectrum and from the smallest to wherever I've been and worse. And, you know, along with that comes the thoughts and the panic. And I, I got to the point where just like my book and my website from the floor to the door, um, I hit, the, I, I, my knees hit the floor again, mm-hmm. but, um, I, I tried calling about eight people, um, when I was having the panic attack, because the one thing you have to realize is if you're going through anything, support system is the biggest, yeah. you, know, you have to, um, and nobody answered out of eight people. Yeah. Nobody answered. Um, and I thought, okay, so I'm sitting here on my yoga mat, looking up out the window and the sun now is reflecting and I could see my image on, on the mirror, the flash in the mirror, the sun's coming through. And I got to the point where like I had cried it out. That sound of freedom. Yeah. That's real. It's real. I can tell you it's real. And there's different sounds to it. There's different sounds to it. There's different variances of it. And so I felt that moment when I was there because I had stopped crying. I had stopped crying out. I had stopped asking why. I had stopped all of that at this moment. And this was like a month ago. And I'm lying on the floor and I'm numb. And my body is numb and everything has come out of there. Nothing left. Yeah. And I knew that I felt that feeling. And the feeling was the same feeling as if I had taken a drug, mm-hmm. which meant, and, and I can go into that whole physical disassociation, but at this point I was more open to receive for anyone that believes. Mm-hmm. I was open to receive because I had no more thoughts left. I had no more energy left i had i had nothing else to to give to let out and then i looked up and the sun's coming and i'm like i got it you know all those times i thought i was alone when i was on a table or i was put on the floor or i was in and locked in a closet or whatever it was held down or the belt around my neck i wasn't alone i i wasn't alone and I, I do come from a strong line of female ancestors and I, you know, I believe in the a divine entity and they were holding my hands. Yeah. They were putting, and I could feel hands on my shoulders. And I realized that I could have died in so many of those situations. I mean, if I had stayed any two days, then before I wouldn't be here, there's no way there was whatever was in my system. I would have died. So I survived for a reason. What was the reason is that I could tell the story. And it's not a story to glorify myself or or, or to hurt anyone. I don't want to hurt that guy or anyone else that did that to me. It's, it's about, you know, we're all human. We all suffer trauma. And my trauma is heavy, but so is everyone else's. So is the, you know, poor nine-year-old who's getting bullied at school or, you know, the, the trans kid who now can't get their medication and, or is, you know, 
I mean, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Cause I help kids in that, in that realm too, by the way. So in, and I just, you know, I want people to know they're not alone mm-hmm. that I'm here 24 seven for one. And that, um, that this stuff is out there. I'm not the typical face. I sat in women distress. I was the minority. Mm-hmm. I was a minority and I thought that I have a, you know, I wrote that day and, and I couldn't understand why I was there. Why did this happen to me? Why did that guy do this to me? Why did they all do this to me? Why am I here? Why am I sitting here in, in a uniform and I look different than everyone else? And then, you know, it hit me on, on that day last month or whatever that I, I need, the illusion needs to change mm-hmm. of, this can happen to anybody. Yeah. And I think that's a piece that I so honor you in sharing because um, I, I remember when I hit a point of wanting to share my story, it was mm-hmm. the, one of the biggest reasons was, is I didn't look like mm-hmm. what most people thought someone who struggled mm-hmm. with substance abuse looked like. Mm-hmm. And the only way we're going to change the stigmas is if, we start speaking. So I, yes, I thank you for sharing that and for sharing Mm -hmm. everything that you have. I would love the opportunity to be able to interview you again when you're based that this is like, we're becoming out more publicly. Like when you feel I honor you where you are 100% right now. Mm -hmm. I just want to know that. Thank you. But I would love to share Mm -hmm. it um even further when that time comes because mm-hmm. yeah from the floor right like from mm-hmm. from yes. the floor to the door yeah. yeah absolutely there's so much there and i i actually mm-hmm. can say sometimes that i think that people say like what's that point of change what's that moment mm-hmm. of change i actually almost always feel it's like we all have this moment on the floor and yes. we have a moment on the floor and mm-hmm. that's the moment where it's like okay which way am i going back where I came from or am I going mm-hmm. forward and forward? I don't know what that looks like yet, but mm-hmm. I know what the other, I know what the floor feels like. Right. And right. I don't. And right. And you can be back on the floor and that's yep. the second book. And that's my second book, but we'll talk about that next time. Okay. But yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. You can be back on the floor and that does not mean anybody who's listening. You did not fail. Right. right. Not oh fail. no, not at all. I mean, listen, there's a reason why we do yoga and we, end up in child's pose mm. on the floor. Yeah. And being on the floor means that you're grounding yourself to the earth and yeah. to yourself and to those that came before you. Yeah. So, you know, we can look at it in so many different realms. And also that's why I'm here is that if I could get through what I've been through is that not only can I help somebody else, but we can all do it. Mm-hmm. We can all do it. There is hope everywhere. And sometimes I lose it. I had a rough 24 hours, but you know what? I woke up today and I mean, who knows? Mm-hmm. It's, and I think yeah. that I appreciate you sharing that because yeah. I think sometimes we feel like when we're having that rough 24 mm-hmm. hours, it's like, can we just mm-hmm. go backwards? What is wrong? Yeah. We're right. not going backwards. We're not going no. backwards. We're just having a moment of humans. Right. Correct. Right? And, um, I think we're just, we're, a lot of us are rising up to talk about really difficult things and right. Right. it requires a lot, but mm-hmm. 
also requires, um, you know, I think of the grace, compassion, forgiveness and what that looks like. Yeah. I know there's so much more I could talk to you about. I know. I know. Um, I want to ask you, I will make sure like, this is where it's different. There's nothing mm-hmm. in the show notes for how to connect with you, but I will when it's time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you can't, well, you can connect with me on my website, yes. which is up and running. Yeah. And on there I have, um, I, I'm writing and some of my pieces from my books are there. Okay, great. And yeah. And, um, you know, some of it's, it's just random, but a lot of it's, a lot of it's not, it's all pretty meaningful to me and little by little I'm putting some stuff up there and it's just a taste of what's going to be, but it's also something that if somebody needs a little bit of um, encouragement mm-hmm. or wisdom or something that they might not even understand, like my last piece was about healing and what that looks like and how it's not always so pretty, mm-hmm. you know, from one perfectionist to another, I'm so ready to drop that. Um, that I drop the drop the belief that healing is pretty. Perfect. No, that the that healing is pretty and the perfectionist part. Yeah. Perfect. I said from one perfectionist to another, and um, yeah, and that's part of the last piece that I wrote. So, I I think that is incredibly important because that is yeah, it's affecting so many of us. So many of correct. us. Correct. Correct. So I'll make sure that your website is in the show notes. And I have one more question for you. It is what lesson in life are you most grateful for? Wow, there's so many of them. I know. You know, I always say just trust your instincts. (laughs) I, you know, listen, I'm still working on it. Yep. I've also learned not to attach to people as much as I used to. Mm. You know, um, there's a, a, what is it? Someone told me a trust ladder. Oh. And yeah, I know, right? This was really good. A trust ladder. And you can take, you know, one step at a time. And I used to let people just jump in, mm-hmm. but not anymore. There's a trust ladder. And sometimes I can let that person go up higher and then I'll bring them down lower. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Like you can be in my life, but you're going to be over there. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll let you close to me when I allow that, mm-hmm. you know, or I'll open the door, but I don't know what the doors are called, but when you open the top half and not the bottom half, whatever it is, like, you know, I'll let you in a little bit of my life, mm-hmm. but not fully in. I'll tell you this much, but not all of it. So you can do that because otherwise, you know, you have until you really trust yourself. Mm-hmm. And your own decisions. I mean, listen, that's the bottom line. You know, I, until you can trust yourself, you can put up those boundaries and it has nothing to do with them or something against them. But until you really can figure that stuff out and that, that takes a really long time. I mean, that's a lifetime. I think you just said something that is so incredibly powerful there that I don't mm-hmm. know if it's been said that way. And just the fact that, you know, the trust ladder, we can all visualize mm-hmm. that how yeah. sometimes we just let people jump runs because maybe right. who they are right. or whatever. Right. But that piece that mm-hmm. like until you learn how to trust yourself, mm-hmm. you really right. don't know how to trust somebody else. Absolutely. I mean, listen, but Brene Brown, who's one of my favorite authors, Surprising. um, Thank geez, you. love her. Um, 
and she tells it to her daughter. Is it Ellen? Ellie? Whatever. She tells her daughter when her daughter comes home from school, very sad. And, you know, she told her friend something and the friend told everyone else. And, you know, she talked about she has a trust jar. You know, you put like a marble or whatever for each time you can trust someone. Yeah. When the jar is filled, you know that they're a friend for life. Well, I've got a, I've got a few of those people. You know, I've got two girlfriends I've known since we were very young. Mm-hmm. And there's no question. Not, not one. There are some other people, you know, let's just say you have a jar for every person. Think about how full or how empty that jar is. Yeah. And whether, exactly. you know, I'm, yeah, seeing a, I'm seeing a row jar. Right. Now. right. Exactly. Right. I, and you could visualize it. Sure. Of course. Yes. And it's interesting because who's in those jars might not be blood family. They might not. Right. Like Absolutely. It, yeah. yeah. It, and they might be, I'm not saying that, yeah. but they might be people like the two people who, well, I've got, I've got a few that I know. Mm-hmm. They're the kind of friends that if I reached out and it's like, like, I really need something right mm-hmm. now. I need some mm-hmm. Like, okay, here's the number, like call. It's just, absolutely. Very, but I would do the same a hundred percent. Like when they message and say, can I talk? I'm like, yep. Call right. now. Like, yeah, so, exactly. Exactly. So right. And got that visual the of the right. jobs. Yeah. Right. And if it's someone who, you know, does something against you, you take something at you, you know, you take one of those pebbles or marbles out of the jar. Yeah. Or I dump the jar sometimes, but that's just me. Yes. Well, oh, that's okay. Right. Well, I, yeah. I do. I yeah. do follow my gut. Yeah. I'm not saying that out of bitterness. I'm saying it. No. Out, like protection. I'm, yeah. I'm kind of one of those people that if I am burned um, and it can be a hurtful one for me, mm-hmm. I'm just like, you know what? I don't need that again. I don't right. need it. And it's not that I don't right. trust, but I right. might not trust that person again. Absolutely. Right. Right. And that's the part where you can be like, okay, I love and bless you from afar. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I do with the father of my children. You know, yeah. I love and bless you from afar. I don't wish ill will on you. I don't want anything to happen to you. God bless you. Just yeah. stay away from me yeah. and be good to our kids. And yeah. that's it. And whatever you do in your life is yours. Just don't come near me. Yeah. And, and that's okay. Absolutely. Because I don't I, wish, I don't wish ill on anybody. No, that's energy. You don't even need to put out there. No. Uh, I read a book early on and I'm just going to share this here. Um, mm-hmm. I read a book early, very early in my journey and it was called stay close. And it was by Libby Cataldi. It's mm-hmm. really not even easy to find, but okay. she was dealing with um, substance abuse with her son. And she wrote the books from the standpoint of how can you, give love to somebody without letting them within your personal vicinity. Mm. It's a very powerful book. And mm-hmm. I still use a lot of those kinds yeah. in other areas in my life. But that, like, mm. that's the concept mm. that you're saying, like, stay close with the people who fill your jars the most. Yep. And the yep. ones that maybe need to keep distance, you can still love right. distance. Right. Right. Exactly. Wow. Well, Thank you so much for being here. I look forward to connecting again and I really appreciate everything you shared today. Absolutely. And thank you for having me on this and for putting it out there and the work that you're doing. You guys are changing lives, you know, behind your mics too. And I really, I applaud that. And when I'm having a really rough night or a rough day, I pop in a podcast and it changes it changes myself, but it also changes the trajectory of who I'm going to be outside in the world. And that that's huge. 
It is. Yeah. I, I thank you for that. I'm receiving it. Your dog Good. is saying thank you too. I know. Right? <laughs> I, I mean, you know, this is my life. What can I tell you? <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Awesome. Right. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I appreciate everything more. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. If you love this episode, I invite you to tag me on social media with your takeaways or share it with a friend. Please, if you feel called, take 30 seconds to leave a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. Until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life.